So I came up with the title of the show because that's the best way I could describe what we were going to talk about. Like, just like jam sessions with jazz musicians. They don't really know what it's going to sound like, but they know when they get together, it's going to be good. Comey Media Group proudly presents Revelations with Cole Johnson. Welcome to Revelations, the place where we communicate truth to power. I am Cole Johnson, and I am so glad you're able to join us. She has a Juris Doctorate from Hofstra University. She also is the producer, the creator, the moderator, and one of the three hosts of the show, We Got the Jazz. Ladies and gentlemen, podcaster, producer, voiceover artist, Autumn Woodland. Esquire. Autumn is her name, and this is her revelation. Welcome, Autumn. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) As you're saying all these things, I'm looking around like, uh... Who's supposed to start talking? That's not me. <laughs> but, <laughs> thank you so much. That was a really great introduction. I have to like record that and play it <laughs> as I walk oh. around and introduce myself oh. to people. <laughs> like, hey, see, this is who I am. <laughs> I'm well, exactly. You are important. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I am talking to a woman who is now in Baltimore. We'll talk about your Baltimore type of ties later but you came from western pennsylvania am i not correct that is 110 percent correct born and raised okay all right was it in pittsburgh or a suburb of a suburb of pittsburgh i typically tell people i'm from pittsburgh because nobody has a clue about the suburb that i come from but people in pittsburgh will boldly tell you no she is not from pittsburgh (laughs) she does not have pittsburgh (laughs) she doesn't have a pittsburgh zip code so yeah i grew up in a Small town, about I mean, twenty minutes driving distance max from uh, from the city of Pittsburgh. Mm. Yeah. All right. All right. So, how was it growing up there? Oh gosh, it was very interesting growing up there because I grew up in a small, very preppy, upper middle class, predominantly Caucasian community, and my life just wasn't similar to any of my peers, even though they probably thought it was. So it was always it was kind of strange feeling like I was living in two completely different worlds, um, you know, going to school and then coming home and being with family and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting, unique experience growing up in Sewickley, Pennsylvania. That's the name of the town. How was it to be this beautiful black girl growing up in a Caucasian type of setting for you? How was it? Hmm. Uh, it's interesting. It's so, I mean, I think like any, any experience for a child, it had its highs and lows, but I, I, I think I was very aware of my blackness at a young age. I had parents who they just, they weren't going to have it any other way. So it was a little challenging <laughs> for me because I, I was the only black girl in my class until 
I believe, eighth grade. And mm. even when I got to eighth grade, there were two others. And we were friends. They're very sweet. We got along. But their lives were still very different than mine because they were black. But it came from money, just like <laughs> the rest of uh, our classmates. So it was challenging having issues with not really fitting in. And then I was more quiet and introverted. And I think that my peers had one idea of what they thought a black person should be like. So since I wasn't the one that was playing sports or entertaining them or making them laugh, they just didn't really know what to do with me. So they were just like, oh, that's Autumn. She's nice. She's cool. She's quiet. That's it. So it wasn't like I was popular. It wasn't like, you know, I was the one that everyone wanted to hang out with or be around because I wasn't, I don't think I was giving them that that idea of black <laughs> that they thought I should. Um, it was it was challenging for me. I definitely had my challenges. I was extremely motivated to get away <laughs> from that and to be around people that I feel I could identify with and people that I felt shared a similar life experience. So growing up there definitely motivated me to eventually attend an HBCU. And my parents encouraged it. They didn't tell me I had to go, but they did encourage it because they were just like, you know, you, you have exposure to one part of the world, and you should. But now, <laughs> you know, you haven't been around a lot of black people. You don't really know what it's like to live every day with people who are like you. So maybe when you go to college, that's something you should look into. And I agreed, and that was the ultimate decision I made and branched out and ended up going to Florida A&M. Yep. Mm. It is so funny that I'm hearing you say that. And I'm talking about for the personal end, because my parents thought the exact opposite. Mm. <laughs> so when I was born, we have you in an all black situation. So you'll know and you will always know no matter how far you go, no matter where you go, you will always know this is your people. This is your culture. This is your base. This is your foundation. And from it, you will never leave it. And you'll get to you'll get to see the good, the bad, the ugly. And all it's all this raw form. So it is interesting to me that I'm talking to somebody who had the opposite. And and I, I find it really intriguing because seemingly I think, well, from what I've heard, it seems that you've come to similar similar opinions and similar places that I have as well. But I, <laughs> but our routes were were done differently. And I, I just find that just to be interesting and on so many different levels. I agree. That is very interesting. And I think one of the reasons, so Pittsburgh is, uh, you know, I don't really know a whole lot about Pittsburgh public schools, but so the school district that I, you know, went to school in, it's the same school district where my mother went to school, my grandmother went to school, everyone in my family uh, agreed that they got a solid education. And it's a very peaceful, quiet town. Like it's, it's ideal. Like if it's a place that you, if you have the option to raise, raise your child there, you would probably make mm -hmm. that choice if you live in Pittsburgh. And not to say that there aren't other communities where there are more African-American people or people of color, right. but it was just, it was a town that my mom, she grew up there. Mm -hmm. So being, I think maybe 24 years old when she had me, she was living in Baltimore. My, and that's another thing, like both of my parents went to Morgan State. So that was another reason why my mom was an advocate for an HBCU because it was the same for her. She grew up in that town. She went on to live, you know, move to a different city and go to an HBCU. So from my mom's point of view, I think that's, that was just her understanding. Like, all I know is that there's this nice community with a great school district. I know my child will get a good education. My mom was a teacher. 
in the city of Pittsburgh. So I think she was able to compare what her students were experiencing to what she knew I was going to experience. So in her mind, it was like, okay, my child may be around more Black people, but she might be distracted, you know, with boys or fights, you know, people might possibly like be making fun of me because the way I talk, she just, she was, she was concerned about, you know, me just having the most peace I could possibly have as a child and get the proper education. So I just, I wonder what things would have been like if I lived in another city, because, you know, growing up in Pittsburgh for, for so long, like I didn't, I, I thought that in order to live in a nice community, you had to live in a predominantly white community. Because for the most part growing up, that's mm. all I saw there. So I just didn't think that it was an option <laughs> to be in a community surrounded by black people. And it, it took me a while. Like it took me, it took a while for it to click, <laughs> you know, just through watching TV. I think I was like maybe watching an episode of Rap City. <laughs> I was always watching Rap City. And Too Short was doing a tour of Atlanta. And he was, I don't know what neighborhood he was driving around in, but there were all these big, beautiful homes. And he was like, and this is, you know, black area. There's a lot of black wealth here. And all these are black owned homes. And I was like, oh, what? What is this magical place that I can go to? <laughs> Well, black people have money. <laughs> they live around each other. And yeah, so I like in some, it's just I think at the time that my mother made the decision and based off of where we were living and her life experience, it was just like that was the natural choice. And uh, I don't think it was necessarily ideal because I think my mom, you know, I don't think she liked the fact that I didn't have a ton of black friends while I was in school, but I had friends at church. I had cousins, you know, I wasn't just stuck there all the time. I definitely, you know, when I was visiting family or my mother's friends, you know, I was exposed to a lot of different things. So I think that was her way of keeping me grounded. But that day-to-day school thing was uh, the time that I guess I had the most limited interaction with with my people. You mentioned Florida A and M. So explain to me how was Tallahassee to you? Ooh. <laughs> Initially, talk about culture shock. Mm-hmm. I decided to go because I don't know if they still have it, but back when I was in high school, there was an annual black college tour and mm-hmm. a lot of Pittsburgh area students hop on multiple chartered buses and visited HBCUs up and down the East Coast. And FAMU was one of the schools I saw. And I don't I don't know what it was. I think it just might have been a day where everyone was out and about on the set, handing out flyers, you know, people. We were like, you know, 11th and 12th graders on campus, but people were inviting us to parties and stuff. And I don't know, just that being there on that campus, I think everyone who was on the tour was like, oh my gosh, I want to go to school here. This is it. This is where I'm going. (laughs) And I was thinking the same thing. And I remember a lot of the kids were like, "Eh, I mean, I want to come here, but it's too far. My mom's never going to let me come to Florida. And I was like, my mom will. Because that was the deal. The deal was when you, when it's time to go to college, you can go wherever you want to go because this is your first adult decision. I don't want you coming back to me later in life saying, well, if you had let me do blah, 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 blah. So I knew that I was pretty much allowed to go wherever I wanted. We all came to the conclusion that FAMU was actually a really good decision. So 
went there with like rose colored glasses. Like think it's going to be, you know, I used to watch like everyone. I used to watch a different world. So I thought that that's what my mm-hmm. college experience was going to be like. <laughs> and it very well could have been like that, but it's different. Like watching a TV show as opposed to being in it. So my first year at FAM was so hard. <laughs> like it was a major challenge. Um, because you mentioned earlier, like you, you were exposed at a young age to all different types of black, mm-hmm. all of the, the good, the bad, the in between, all of that. I wasn't exposed to that. In my mind, I had this idea that, you know, I was just going to go to this prestigious university. <laughs> it would all just be like focus scholars, have some fun here and there. Like, I don't know what I thought my college experience was going to be like, but I got there and like everyone was. I mean, it was just like the world, like any black person that you might come across in the world. Like that's what I was exposed to when I first got to college. So it was a major adjustment going from a very small school. I think there were 120 people in my high school graduating class. I was one of three Mm. black girls. Um, Mm. There may have been like two or three guys, just very little. So to go from that, being in this little small world, to going to Tallahassee, which is a small town, but still a big mm-hmm. college town with a lot going on. I was I was overwhelmed. Um, I was very overwhelmed, and I was ready to leave. I was like, I, <laughs> I'm not staying here. I can't handle this. But my mom was like, No, I paid for your tuition, so you're gonna stay at least a year. <laughs> you wanted to go, <laughs> that's where you're gonna stay. But that first, after that first year, I mean, I made some incredible friends, people that I'm friends with to this day. And eventually I adjusted. Um, I'm glad I did it. I wouldn't have it any other way. If I had to make the decision again, I would do it all over again because it really did. I could almost feel myself becoming an adult and becoming more mature with my experiences in Tallahassee, not just because, you know, going to an HBCU, but also just regular, you know, coming of age type stuff that I was dealing with. Since you went to an HBCU and I'm familiar with Florida A&M, didn't attend, but know a few who have attended and know of a person who was attending that school now. Did you have an experience similar to that of school days? No, the, no, yeah. <laughs> um, not really. Yeah, I I think about anything that like either school days or a different world. I think those are the only things I can think about growing up that I saw on screen that related to the black college experience. But um, I don't know. It's almost like I'd have to rewatch school days and look at different mm-hmm. scenes because I'm sure there are certain scenes I could watch and be like, oh, yeah, OK. I remember that something similar happened to me when I was in school, but overall, no, I wouldn't say that. There wasn't like a kind of thing. Well, no, I can I can honestly say the only thing that I can think of right now that is similar to school days was going to FAMU and being at school in the South. Um, I definitely noticed that women with lighter skin were coveted <laughs> way more than anyone else, and that was an interesting experience for me because not something I noticed growing up in Pittsburgh. And it might might have been that way in Pittsburgh, but I was so young, like I might have not even been paying attention to it. But I remember being a teenager and I think noticing with guys like a girl you think is pretty is just a girl you think is pretty. But going to FAMU, that was different. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, could definitely see a preference for um, women who were on the, uh, the fairer 
fair end of the color spectrum. Mm. Yeah, uh, and the brown paper bag test, uh, my mind just gets blown each and every time I think about that and hear that dynamic still play out as recent as now. I'm thinking, wow, mm-hmm. really? You know, we still are still comparing color hue to one one to another and say, okay, well, because you're lighter or darker, that would that would make me want to want to be with you or want to do business with you or just want to entertain you as a person or a friend. You know, I, right. I, I always find that dynamic mind blowing because I'm thinking, okay, so you, you don't want to climb into the person. You don't want to be empathetic and dive into the skin, dive beyond the skin. You just want to stop at the skin and, and just be done there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, I've, I've always found that to be head scratching. And I will always find it to be his great. Yeah. Yeah. The same with me. And I, I guess maybe it's just, it always has to do with like, I think a lot of times we don't choose how we look at the world. It's kind of chosen for us. So if you grow up in a family, if you grow up around people who think that way, you may think that that's just normal and that's natural. Like I didn't grow up like that. Like my mother has dark mm-hmm. skin. My father is lighter. Um, there are people of all colors in my family. Like most of us are darker, but you know, there's people who are brown skin. There are people who are biracial, um, you know, people who are white through marriage. So I don't know. I just grew up like color was just never a thing and color just wasn't a thing for me growing up. So I, it wasn't something I, I really understood. That's why I was very confused initially. I think my first or second week at school, <laughs> my, one of my roommates Ooh. was, Older. She was a junior. I was a freshman. And well, that was my first week of school. Of course, I was a freshman. <laughs> she was a junior. And there was a guy, I guess, one of her friends she was studying with, and he came over. And I, I remember being really annoyed because I was still trying to figure things out. And I was annoyed with myself because I didn't say anything at the time. Because I remember she came and she knocked on my door. And I was like, what? And she's like, oh, you know, my friend so-and-so wants to meet my roommate. So I'm like, okay. And I come out. And it was really like a thing. Like, he just, it was like he was an older guy and wanted to evaluate the level of attractiveness of, like, the freshmen that were living in this home. Because she was the only junior. The rest of us were um, in our first year. So, I mean, I remember this guy looking at all of us and looked at me and was like, oh, yeah, you know what? You're pretty cute for a dark skin girl. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. I don't remember what I said, but it was pretty harsh directed at him. Something like, okay, well, you kind of look human for a wolf or like something like that. Like, I, I don't know. I was like 18, oh. you know, what I said. <laughs> but like, you don't call, I'm minding my business and my room. going to call me out to look me up and down and tell me that I look kind of cute for a dark skin girl. Like, okay, whatever. So I think that's how the whole conversation ended because everybody laughed <laughs> and I went back in my mind about business. But it was like that kind of thing. Like, Really? Did that just happen? Mm-hmm. There was no reason for that to happen. Um, yeah. But, you know, I guess that's just how some people are. And I think it's obviously worse when you're younger because people who are younger are not as mature. You would like to think that people grow out of that. But sometimes I think people mm-hmm. don't grow out of it. They just grow out of knowing that, you know, they grow into knowing that it's inappropriate to say saying things like that. So they don't say it, but they always think it. Right. Yeah. It's unfortunate. But, yeah. hey, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is unfortunate. And basically people are being robbed of the experience of getting to know a quality human being simply because you're lighter or darker. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That, yeah. That isn't really smart. It really isn't smart at all. And I, I, I've, 
In fact, I almost want to burst out into laughter right now in just the <laughs> thought of that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is ridiculous. actually very laughable. But I think I don't know. I think a lot of the way people think it's it's almost ingrained. It kind of it just gets passed down from great grandparents, grandparents, parent, child, and I mean I think a lot of people just assume that if there's a particular line of thinking in how their parents raised them or just how their family thinks, then it's like okay, well, what my family thinks is right, and everyone else is either wrong or lying. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh. Okay, no, that's not really how it works. But yeah, I think a lot of people are just programmed to be a certain way. They don't even know any better. And I think that might be why people, you know, get upset when you do start to question them about how they think because you're challenging (laughs) what their wiring is, what they've been programmed to believe. Um, So I mean, I'm fortunate. I mean, I'm just grateful that I wasn't programmed that way. Like I wasn't taught to care about how dark or light a person is. Like, I've never been impacted. No, I can't say I have, but I've never, like, no, I don't have issues with colorism. Like, no one's been subjected to my colorism. I mean, okay, I am guilty of making light skin jokes. Like, that's, that's partly a lie. But, no. I don't, I don't actually, I don't actually treat people a certain kind of way or look at a person and be like, mm, well, I know what you're going to be like. Based off of what you look like, you, you don't know. Everybody's different. <laughs> but yes, oh I am. Gosh. I am guilty. And that concludes. That's we got dope. to jazz's petty said go. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, we will definitely get into those uh, administrative decisions to your podcast later as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, there's there's some interesting things I want to just dissect just on your podcast alone. Okay. <laughs> but you but you graduated from Florida A and M and you mentioned New York and I, I knew that you lived there at a time. So how did New York come into play? Because I believe that along with your Juris Doctorate came into play at the same time. Am I not correct? That's correct. Yes. Okay. So I went to law school in New York. I think around my junior or senior year of college, uh, I decided that I wanted to go to law school. In my mind, I thought it was like being a lawyer was the perfect career for me because once I realized that most lawyers don't go to court, they're not arguing in front of a judge. Most work is very transactional. um, And there's a lot of research and reading and writing involved. I'm like, that's perfect for me because that's what I'm good at. And I have this inherent desire to want to help people and to make things better. So I'm like, what better way to use the gifts that I have to help others. So uh, went to New York for law school, graduated from Hofstra, and then I lived there a couple of years after graduating. Um, I've never practiced law because while I was in law, while I was in law school, I realized, you know what, I'm probably not, (laughs) I'm probably meant to use this law degree, but not to practice in a traditional way. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's why I don't, I never, because the, the, the Esquire, I believe, is designated for people who are actually admitted in a state to practice law. And I'm not, right, I haven't right. passed the bar or anything like that. So it's like the JD, yeah, that's me. Esquire, I'm like, eh, I, don't, I haven't earned that. But yeah, <laughs> went to law school in New York and stayed there for a couple of years afterwards. I moved a lot because after, you know, I just, I graduated during a time where it was very difficult to find work. The economy hadn't gotten bad for the entire country just yet. 
but it was mm-hmm. getting tough for lawyers just because the market was flooded with uh, law school graduates and there just weren't enough jobs uh, for people who had law degrees. So I struggled with finding work, I found work and, you know, did different contracts and temporary assignments, but ended up moving home to Pittsburgh. So that was the first time I'd lived in Pittsburgh as an adult. Like I'd been away from home for almost 10 years and I had to go back and work there for a few years. I was like dying to get back to New York. So I moved back and I was in New York for about a year and realized, uh, this, you know, your, your price probably not meant to be here and moved back to Pittsburgh. And after living in Pittsburgh, the second round, <laughs> I, um, I knew I wasn't going to stay there. So I was just using that time mm-hmm. to figure out where my next move was going to be and f- try to figure out where I was going to stay long term. And it ended up being Baltimore. Now, your co-host, one of your two co-hosts, your brother, Sean, and yeah. we will talk about him in a, in a while, too is one who lives in Baltimore. And I said, okay, so there's a family tie there. All right, cool. Was that the only reason why you moved to Baltimore? It was interesting how it just kind of worked out. So this area, like the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, was always on my radar because my mom going to college in Baltimore kind of sparked the idea for other people in my family to come to Maryland. Like my uncle would always come to visit my mom in college and he realized that he liked it out here. He just moved to this area. And then it was kind of like a chain effect. Like at one point, my grandmother, um, gosh, I think she was in her 50s. And she just completely started a new life. She worked at a steel mill in Pittsburgh. And when the steel mill shut down, she was having trouble finding work. So she just up, moved, relocated, learned how to drive a bus and was living in PG County. So I was always coming to the Maryland area growing up. So this is a place that was always on my radar. Like I've always had family in Maryland. So when I was trying to figure out where I was going to move next, I was like, okay, well, I don't move to DC or move to, you know, somewhere near DC. I wasn't really thinking about Baltimore as much, but it worked out that I found a job here and I didn't find work in DC. And I'm like, okay, well, you go where the work is. You go where the... Or you don't find employment. It just so happened I found a job that uh, the office is located in downtown Baltimore. So when it was time for me to move, it was cool. I was looking around for apartments. I already had an idea of where one day I came to the apartment complex that I'm living in now. And I remember I was with my little cousin and I was looking around and I was like, this this area looks familiar. I feel like my brother lives near here somewhere. <laughs> and it, it, me, I, without even knowing it, I ended up moving 10 minutes away from my brother. Hmm. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> that is interesting. Yeah. And cool. That is, it is, it is. All right. We got the jazz. Now, what made you want to conceive this podcast, one? And two, did you ever think you would step behind the mic and speak about anything whatsoever? Um, Let's see. I, it's weird because, like, obviously we're talking and I'm doing a whole lot of talking, but I'm naturally a pretty mm. quiet person. I'm more introverted. So, you know, with one-on-one conversations, I'm great or with like smaller groups, I don't mind being talkative. But in general, I, you know, I'm, I'm more so in my head than um, I'm like verbalizing things. But I've started listening to podcasts, I would say in 2012, I think the first show I listened to was The Read. And for some reason, I just kind of got this bug, like I would listen to shows. And I was 
I don't know, for some reason, I just felt like I want to do that, which is crazy in my head because it's like you like <laughs> you're a pretty private person. You talk to your friends and your family, but why would a private person want to start a podcast that just about anyone could hear? Not that the whole world is listening, but the option is there for people to listen if you have it out on like a public platform. For some reason, I just have this desire to start a podcast and I had friends who, you know, we'd sit around, we'd talk, we'd have conversations, and then they would just say it. They'd be like, Autumn, why don't you have a podcast? I mean, you can do it too. So I don't know. I don't know where the desire came from, but I felt like I just needed to go for it and do it. Um, and I think maybe a little piece of me, like I I think I have a, a somewhat unique personality and I don't always have people that I can identify with and connect with, but I know I'm not the only person like that. So a part of me is just like, okay, if you start a podcast, maybe you can motivate someone who is similar to you to do the same thing or to branch out and do something that they wouldn't otherwise do because they're nervous or afraid. So I just, I've, I've always thought of podcasting as like this kind of way that I'm allowing, I mean, I don't know if people listen to the show, like, <laughs> what does God have to do with your podcast? But, <laughs> um, you know, maybe just a way for God or the universe to use me and use whatever voice I have. So that's kind of a weird, uh, messy way of explaining <laughs> how I got motivated and how I started doing the show. Hmm. Yeah. And and I, I sort of get the feeling that it is not that it isn't a, a great show. It is. But I, I sort of get Thank the you. feeling that it is it is. Oh, no problem. But I sort of get the feeling it is a a work in progress, even when you are recording, even when Ryan or Sean, the other two co-hosts of We Got the Jazz are speaking. I sort of get the feeling that even though you're present in the conversation the wheels are just churning as to okay is this a good product and i find that dynamic very interesting am am i off base in saying that no you are totally right and i will say it all the time like this podcast is an experiment (laughs) i say Mm. it all the time i it's like i know what i'm doing but i don't know what i'm doing and i'm still learning and the show is still developing and I I say this about myself all the time. And it's interesting that you said that you can tell that the wheels are turning because that's just, that's something I, I've heard about myself. I've heard people say, like, I can tell. <laughs> Not even with the podcast, but in general. Like, there's a lot going on in there. <laughs> I'm, I would love what's ha- would love to know what's happening. I'm like, I don't even always know what's happening. But, yeah, I'm still trying to figure things out. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure things out along the way. Figure out the best mm. format for the show. And I... I started out one way and mm-hmm. I, I'm surely I could have stuck to it, but I have so many ideas. It's very hard for me to just pick one and go with it. So like, I'm sure like if you do listen, you'll notice that a while ago I started out with this idea of, Oh, let's do an improv story. Let's do the story time thing that we started. And mm-hmm. I noticed that that, that clicked. That worked. It's something that we all have fun doing. It's something that everyone seems to enjoy listening to. So I'm like, okay, that's it. I feel it. I'm going to nail this one down. Like, this is something that we're definitely going to do from here on out. Like, that's a part of We Got the Jazz. Um, Right. And honestly, that's how I came up with the title because I knew I was going to constantly change my mind. Because I wasn't, when I started the podcast, I don't even think I was really 
in my head, I didn't think I was ready, but in my head, I never think I'm ready for anything. Like, I feel like things have to be absolutely perfect in order for me to proceed. And a lot of my friends just encouraged me and were like, no, just go for it. Just do it. Like, who cares? Just try it. Like, you know, I'll listen to you. Other people will listen to you. Like, you know, the concept is great and you can just work it out and figure it out along the way. And I just figured, okay, I'll put it out there. And I like that. I know it may sound weird, but I kind of like that people may be able to hear that I'm still working things out because that's life. Like everybody is always in the process of working things out. So I'm hoping that people are listening and enjoying it, but then also thinking, okay, she doesn't have it totally figured out yet, but she's still doing it. Why can't I do that too? So that's what I'm hoping that I'm giving people. I don't know what that's the effect, but that is, that's the impact that I would like to have. And ultimately I do want to reach a point where the show is just like, boom, this is what it is, but it may never be that way. It may just keep (laughs) being the way it is. But as long as people, as I just, I just want my, the listeners to enjoy what they hear. And as long as that's happening, then that's, that's what I'm, that's what I mean. Well, well, to the friends of autumn, I want to say thank you for having this voice be (laughs) in the podcast sphere. I appreciate it. If no one else ever says it, I appreciate you all. And I appreciate her. So thank you, Autumn's friends. We thank you, all the whole crew. I have, it's interesting. I, my friends are scattered around the country, but I have some incredible friends who are extremely supportive. Some of them have been guests on the show, but they've always been behind me and rooting for me and saying, hey, do this and don't quit. This is your thing, whether you realize it or not. But mm. with me, I think my friends know I'm, I'm such a perfectionist. If everything is not right <laughs> in the way I think it should be, I'm like, it's, no, <laughs> nobody needs to hear an imperfect podcast. So this, it's also a way of helping me to kind of work through my issues with perfectionism because I can't make this podcast perfect. Not on my own. <laughs> um, you know, I don't have mm. a production team. I do the editing. I do the producing. I facilitate the conversations, which can be challenging for me because uh, because I'm more introverted. I'm comfortable with responding, not so much comfortable with guiding how the flow of a conversation is going to go. Because like I said, I'm very happy sitting quietly, um, just thinking about whatever I'm thinking about. There are a lot of hats I have to wear and a lot of things that I'm doing that I don't have a lot of experience with. So there is no room for me to be perfect. And even though it doesn't always feel good, I know it is good because I have to accept that I have to, you know, proceed and move along and develop in my life. And not everything is going to be the way I think it should be. And I want other people to get that too um, for themselves. Mm, Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned the word friend. That takes me to the theme song of your show. So (laughs) who pinned the theme song to We Got the Jazz? My best friends. Yes. So we had a couple of sessions where we collaborated. She, her name is Reese Palmer. She is a country artist. She also does some soul music and children's music. And she's a very talented songwriter. So when I was thinking about the theme song for the show, she's the first person I went to. I was just like, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do as a theme song, like just music wise. And she was like, okay, well, what kind of sound are you looking for? And I was like, um, duh, like 90s R&B. Don't you know me? <laughs> so she was like, I actually have someone. <laughs> and it was so funny. 
think she said that's funny that you would say that because she knows of someone who is a DJ and a producer. His name is, he goes by DJ Jay Bishop. And she was like, he has a lot of tracks that, you know, he's given me that I've listened to and he has a page on Bandcamp. So I went and I checked out a lot of uh, the music that he has. And I talked to him and said, hey, you know, I, I really like this track. This is the one I'm thinking about using as the intro for my podcast. And I gave up an idea of what the podcast is going to be like. And with Bandcamp, like you can download a song. And I don't know if the artist sets the price or you just kind of pay whatever you want. But it just didn't seem like it didn't seem fair to me to do like a name your price thing when I was going to be using his music for my show. So I just asked him like, what, what do you ideally like, what would you like to get paid for me to use this song? So um, talked about a price. And I selected that particular song. The more I listened to it, the more perfect it felt for me. And then I, uh, the next obvious thing for me was to ask Reese to help me out with lyrics. Because I'm like, this would be a really great theme song <laughs> uh, if my friend wrote it. So we collaborated. I gave her a vibe of what I thought the show was going to be about. And she started writing. And she has a beautiful voice. And at first she was like, you should sing too. And I was like, uh, no, okay. <laughs> You're the singer. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it works out well. She's incredibly talented. And so is DJ J. Bishop. So those two uh, talents coming together on one theme song made it what it is for the show. So I'm grateful. I'm really grateful. Every time I hear it, I'm like, this is so good. (laughs) And other people seem to like it too. So I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. Count me as one of them. And I'm not saying this because you're a guest on my show. I really am saying, I really am (laughs) saying this from the heart. It is my favorite theme song in any podcast I've heard. So yeah, no, no question about that. And as for the singing part, this is coming from a person who had the nerve to do a twist on an old school commercial and saying, the touch, the feel of oppression, oh, the fabric of our lives. <laughs> so I'm thinking, you don't have a voice. Right. <laughs> I can carry a tune, kind of. I mean, my mom's a singer. She's majored in music education. She was a music teacher before she retired. She directed the church choir. That's how my best friend and I met. We both sang in the choir at church. So I don't, I mean, am I like the greatest singer? No, but I can carry a tune. Like I can hit the right notes. And I do sing on the show all the time because I just like to randomly burst out in song. But for something that was going to be like a staple for the show, like the intro, yeah, I'm like, we need a pro. <laughs> we need someone who does this for a living. And it's it's been noted that she, this is her thing. This is what she does. She is a singer. I'm just a person who sometimes sings well. <laughs> it's a big difference. Now, we're speaking about music and we're talking about We Got the Jazz. Now, I know part of the inspiration of the title comes from the song to let you know that I'm a music head myself from a tri quest. And yes. the official title of the song is jazz and in parentheses, we got it. We got the it. Hook, right. mm-hmm. But the hook, when they, the say, jazz, when they say, when they say it, it's we got the jazz. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was mm-hmm. a combination of that. So I came up with the title of the show. Um, Cause that's the 
best way I could describe what we were going to talk about. Like, just like a, a jam session with mm-hmm. jazz musicians. They don't know what the notes are going to be. They don't really know what it's going to sound like, but they know when they get together, it's going to be good. And it's going to be a great session. So I thought, okay, that's what the podcast is going to be. I don't necessarily know exactly what I'm going to talk about on this show. And the guests I have, like, it's just, it's going to be a free flowing conversation with some great people. And we don't know where it's going to go, but it's going to be good. So that's why I decided to call it We Got the Jazz. Yeah, I fully get the, I fully get the improvisation vibe all throughout. And, and it, it's great. It's great that you, you sort of do a conversational ode to the art form <laughs> and, yeah. and it works. It seems to work. Thank you. I'm hoping it yeah. does. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I always, I guess being on, like being on the creator production and in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Can yeah. everybody tell, I, in my head, I'm like, people are probably listening this person does not know what she's doing. (laughs) (laughs) So It's always surprising and I'm always very pleasantly surprised to get feedback and people are like, yeah, you know, it does feel like it's improv, but it's still good. I'm like, all right, that's what I was hoping because that was the the original concept. Good. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And a few months ago, this, this show celebrated its one year anniversary. So congratulations on that. Thank you. And this goes into the next question I have. So how did the Myers-Briggs test become part of the platform of We Got the Jazz? Oh, so that's a big thing for me. I like I started out before I started the podcast, I had a blog called INF Jazz. And that's Mm -hmm. just linked up with my Myers-Briggs personality type that I fall into, which is the INFJ personality type. A lot of people aren't into like that kind of thing. So some people are like, what? What is an INFJ? What is Myers-Briggs? But I'm just really (laughs) into people and personalities and figuring out what makes people tick. Um, so yeah, I do. I have my mini episodes where I try to tie in what it's like having my personality type and how that affects me as a podcaster and just how that affects me and my life in general, because it's the rarest of all personality types. So, um, it's natural for people with that personality type to feel like they don't belong. They don't fit in. There aren't a lot of people in the world like them. So I like to use those segments to, if people are interested, get a better understanding about that personality type. And then also, if there are people who are listening that have the personality type, it's almost like they can hear it and think, okay, somebody gets it. It's not just me. There's somebody else in this world who knows what it's like to be who I am and live in the skin I live and think the way I think and behave the way I behave and not think of me as like this kind of strange, odd (laughs) person. (laughs) So that's how that ties in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I and I liked the fact that you introduced that type of, uh, I guess that type of emotional intelligence. I think that's the best way I can put it into the forum. And I am an ISTJ. Uh, oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So was this show we got the jazz originally? Was it going to be just you as a solo host? I never wanted it to be just me. I always wanted to have a co-host. That was one. That was one of the reasons why it took me longer to start the podcast. I just didn't have anyone to do it with me. Like it wasn't. I didn't have the resources that I felt I needed to start a show. And it's interesting. I have a friend, and she was like, "You should just start a podcast." And I'm like, "I can't." 
do that. <laughs> she was like, yes, you can. She's like, you can do it by yourself. I can listen to you talk all day. I'm like, that is very sweet of you. But I don't think that most people will want to hear me <laughs> ramble <laughs> about whatever on a podcast. And she was like, but you always talk about how you have so many great, interesting friends who are doing all these incredible things. She's like, why don't you just start out that way? Like, just interview your friends. She's like, you can interview me if you want. So I was like, huh. Like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, but I, I don't know. I don't know. And then the next day I was on the train on the way to work and I just clicked. I was like, she's right. Like, she's totally right. There's nothing stopping me. I can do this. It won't necessarily be what I want it to be and how I think it should be in my head, but I can totally do it. So, um, yeah, I just decided to go for it. So I always wanted a co-host, started out not having one. It was just like, you'll figure it out along the way. You'll just start out interviewing your friends and talking about their careers. And I have a lot of friends who have, um, they're branching out. Like they have one main career, one thing that they do for a living, but they all have either small businesses that they're starting or small businesses that they've started. So I figured, you know what, we can talk about that. And just see where the conversation goes from there. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how the show got started. Hmm. Okay. All right. Now, see, I, I could talk to you uh, <laughs> for hours on end. Uh, I, I just appreciate having a conversation with an intelligent person and one who is one who is open and one who wants to just improve the world by the speech and the thought. I appreciate you for that, for sure. Thank you. But, Thank you so oh, much no for, um, yes, I'm very flattered. <laughs> appreciate that. Oh, no problem. No problem. Unfortunately, I have to cut this short and I could, okay. I could keep going on. I would love to, but uh, I have to cut this short. But I have these questions to ask you. Now, if you can think long and hard, what is your biggest regret in life? Or if that's a little too hard, what is your biggest lesson you've ever learned in your life? Biggest regret, I I don't know because it's for me regrets is like kind of challenging because at one point in your life something that you've done in the past could be a regret, but then fast forward ten years that thing could completely flip and you could be like, whoa, actually I am glad I did that because if I hadn't done that I wouldn't be where I am right now. So I can't even really say I have like regrets, regrets. I guess like a Part of a regret is maybe going to law school only because of the debt I incurred <laughs> from going. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah. At the time I went, you know, I had a degree in business. Then I go to law school. Once upon a time, a business degree and a law degree means job security. You'll be just fine. But that is not what happened because things, you know, just kind of changed around the time that I went to law school. So I can't say that it was a regret, but it is the kind of, thing where it's just like, gosh, if I had known what I was getting myself into, I probably would have done things differently. Um, and then the other question was, you said the biggest regret and then the next thing, the biggest lesson, is that uh, it? Yeah, biggest lesson learned. The biggest, biggest lesson, lesson learned, yes. learned. Biggest lesson learned is huh, to just stop being concerned with how others perceive you. I think a lot of the decisions I made when I was younger, they weren't decisions that I really wanted to make. They were decisions that I thought I should have made based off of what I was told I should be and, you know, decisions that I made based off of what I thought people would think of me. So that's why like with podcasting and doing things that are more creative, like I've always had this creative 
spirit. I've always had this energy where I just wanted to be more artistic, but no one thought of me as an artistic person. It was just like Autumn's good in school and she's really good at writing and doing things that are more logical. So yeah, the biggest lesson I've learned is to just not be concerned about what others think and to trust your gut and do what you know is right for you, regardless of what else is going on around you. And I've noticed that when you stop being concerned about what other people think or other people's perceptions of you, that takes a lot of maturity. And <laughs> you have to be ready to do that when, when, that, when it comes. So that's a very right. powerful one there. That's a very powerful but one. But it's freeing. Like once mm-hmm. you get to that space, where you really just don't care, like you legitimately don't care. You're just like, what? Why haven't I been living my life this way? Once you get into a groove of doing that, life is so much easier. It's so much easier. And it's so much more fulfilling because you get to do what you want to do and not yeah. feel any way about it other than happy. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, that's what we're supposed to do. Right. <laughs> what we're exactly. supposed to do. We're supposed to do, and I'll throw a a spiritual tie to this. We're supposed to do how God created us to be. And we're supposed to live that life. Exactly. And that doesn't, and that really doesn't include other people's opinions of us. It doesn't. Exactly. Or other people's opinions of what they think God is. Right. Everybody has their interpretation of things and, you know, people can project that onto you. And if you're not doing things in a way that they think it should be done, you know, they may even try to tell you that you're not doing things in God's way. But it's like, you know, like we all have our own different relationships with God or, you know, the universe or whatever, you know, makes people whatever reference people are comfortable with. But yeah, whenever you have like a gut feeling of what you should be doing and you deny that, like that is God inside of you. Like, you know, if you have a desire to be creative, but you're, walking away from it because you don't feel like it's it's practical you're denying what you're naturally inclined to do and what you could really be good at doing if you would continue to work at it and evolve like i wish that i had focused more on being creative when i was younger i mean it probably just wasn't the right time for me Mm -hmm. but it's always been there and now that i'm not denying it you know it's not like it's, it's totally what i do for a living but gosh, it's just amazing. And I just, I respect and admire the people who've always known, who've always had that spirit inside of them ever since they were young, because they just kind of went out there and did what they wanted to do. And things weren't necessarily perfect, but they've always been able to do something that they love. And I think that's incredible. So I feel like I'm kind of a late bloomer when it comes to that, but I'm, I'm at least I <laughs> finally got it and figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. At least you bloomed. That's all that matters. Yeah, as long as you yeah, blew. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Now, now flipping the coin, what in your estimation has been your biggest accomplishment in life? Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. It's hard for me to, like, I'm not really good at reflecting on things that I've done. I kind of just do what I do and keep moving. I would say maybe my, well, my biggest accomplishment, at least on paper, is uh, going to law school and graduating and, you know, I have my law degree. But I think my biggest accomplishment, it's probably not something that I can even nail down. It's just accepting that I am a work in progress and that I'm constantly developing spiritually and I'm constantly evolving and working on being the best version of myself that I can be. And that's something that I'm committed to. 
So I've grown in ways that people don't necessarily see, or maybe people can see. I've grown in ways that, you know, maybe words can't even describe. So I think that's probably my greatest overall accomplishment, just the fact that I refuse to remain stagnant. Wow. Well, that's a really good accomplishment. The fact that you, <laughs> Thank you. you, you, you I don't know if it's working, but imp- I'm trying. <laughs> Constantly <laughs> perpetual motion and, and evolving and, and growing. Yeah, that, that can be a that could be a really good accomplishment when you think about it. All right. So this is the time of the show where if you have any any parting shots, you can you can get your petty set go on. <laughs> or, <laughs> or or any words of wisdom that you want to impart, like you haven't passed any before now already. Whatever is on your heart, whatever is in your soul, whatever is on your mind. The floor is yours. Oh, gosh. I don't, definitely nothing petty to say. <laughs> I guess my, like, final words would just be to, I, I don't know. Like I mentioned before, just focus on being the best version of yourself that you can be. And in the meantime, mind your business. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't the world be a magical place if everybody did their best and minded their business? Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> like, just imagine that. Imagine if people just didn't interfere where they had no business interfering. And I'm not talking about, like, you see a person struggling and you're like, oh, that's not my business. I don't care. It's not like that. But just, you know, you just will allow people to go on their life journeys uninterrupted <laughs> without other people projecting things onto them. Like, the world would be so incredible people would do that but alas it doesn't happen and i mean i'm guilty i don't even do that all the time i'm you know i think i'm pretty good at minding my business part though <laughs> i try <laughs> uh, so you try not to meddle i okay i totally get that yeah interfere with the lives of others or just in general um you know just not look at how other people are doing things and assume that because I'm doing something differently that what I'm doing is what should be done. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, you've heard all these value bombs on this episode from this woman, (laughs) voiceover artist, co-host of, we got the jazz producer. We got the jazz and a, well, possible law expert. (laughs) Question mark. (laughs) (laughs) I I have my, my friends who are lawyers are, far better experts than than me because they have to be practiced. And all around good person, Autumn Woodland. Autumn, thank you so much. I appreciate it this time and this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm really appreciative. Um, it means a lot to, you know, when I'm asked to come on a show and it's always surprising that people People listen to the show and appreciate the show. And uh, yeah, just thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate this. Sometimes in this world, you don't know when you're coming or going. And finding that understanding as to who you are seems to be a perpetual struggle for many. No matter how light or dark the shade, that battle always seems to come up in a person's life. What am I meant to do? Where am I meant to go? How am I meant to get there? It all comes down to identity. And the sooner someone knows their identity, the sooner they can get to their destination and the faster they can get to it. The word says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 
When you get a hold and a grasp onto your identity, you then can help others find theirs. We're built to take what we know and help the next person get there so they can help the next person. It is a pay it forward society, but sometimes we seem to forget that because of the fact that we don't know who we really are. Many thanks to Autumn for a wonderful conversation. She is <laughs> she is a phenomenal, phenomenal mind. And you can check her out on We Got the Jazz on many, many podcast outlets available. For changing the world one conversation at a time, I am Cole Johnson, and this has been Revelations. For more of Revelations, go to Pippa spelled P-I-P-P-A dot I-O.